Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. Nice to see you again. Yeah, and nice to uh, be listened to by all of you uh, listeners again. Thanks for bearing with us during yeah. our, our week off. The week before, we were late. Yeah. Because of my uh, busy schedule. <coughs> And yours, but last yeah. week we were last week you were sick. Yeah, and I would uh, sick and busy. That's the thing. Yeah, you know, me being sick is not that big of a deal because then it's like, oh, okay, well, we'll just do it. We'll record it a, a few days later. Uh, couldn't uh, you know? Couldn't swing it because yeah. uh, just just so busy. Um, and uh, and I'm not sure if we're even going to be able to do. Uh, what we've done in the past, which is record two episodes to make up for it, because we're still busy. Right, we're still very busy. Maybe we'll do two episodes a little. Kind of down the line. We're, oh, don't worry. We're okay. eventually going to do two in a week okay. to make up for it. I Absolutely. Wouldn't, it wouldn't be okay with me if we didn't. I know. It's really nagging at me. Yeah. So don't worry. We will. But because of uh, continued busyness, uh, you're, <coughs> you're just getting the one this week. The one we promised you two weeks ago. Yeah. But uh, we'll get into that later. Indeed. Uh I want to talk about what's. Uh, I, I want to. I want to welcome any potential new listeners that we have, readers yeah. and subscribers of Movie Maker Magazine. Yeah. Uh, who put us on their list of um, ten podcasts worth a listen? Yeah. Now that means movie podcasts. Yeah, I would assume it's a so, Movie Maker yeah. Magazine. Yeah. And all the podcasts were movie related, so I'm assuming they meant ten movie podcasts worth it's, a listen. It stands to reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, uh, even though it was alphabetical, I think we came in at number two, and I think that means something. You think we came in at number two? We 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 did. No, I know. It's alphabetical. But, right, but if it wasn't, yeah, we came in at number two. Really, with a different number one. <laughs> that's that. No, that's a little. Uh, <laughs> that's a little dig at our our friend, uh, yeah. Dave Chen. Yeah, I uh, can... but, but who who told me about the, <coughs> the article? But I was glad. Uh, no, really glad to see. Uh, I I kid the slash film cast. That's my Bill Maher impression. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, uh, I was really glad to see our friends over the Slash Filmcast made the list, uh, yeah. not to mention our, our good friend in front of the show, Pilar Alessandra from the On the Page podcast. Absolutely. And uh, just some other podcasts that I like, creative screenwriting, film spotting, yeah. uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a nice list, and, and frankly, I, this is going to sound like false, humili- false humility, but it really, it, it isn't. I, it's, when you think movie podcasts, you think film spotting, and if you think twice, you'll probably think Slash Film. Uh-huh. Um, and to think that, uh, that a publication that is, you know, kind of, you know, it's a real publication. This is no fly-by-night operation. Absolutely. Naomi Watts is on the cover of this thing. <clears throat> I know. Ethan Hawke was on last uh, the, the last issue. And um, I know that because I've been looking all over the place and I've just been faced with a, you know, a, a sea of hawks. Really? Yeah. Mm. Uh, I've been looking at places, uh, you know, in the valley various newsstands and bookstores and uh it's all uh, all the old issues so. i'm telling you since the moment I've, I've moved to los angeles skylight mm-hmm. books has been where i go for books now where is that that's on vermont vermont uh, skylight books it's it's right by the los feliz three cinema oh i've been in there yeah that's a good yeah. bookstore it's a great bookstore it's my favorite and that's where i found it yeah first place i looked and did you it say pays to look at skylight that's their <laughs> <laughs> shine a skylight on it <laughs> that's for you skylight that's for free um yeah it's uh it, but it's it's very it's very fascinating to be uh, thought of in the same way as those other podcasts that mm-hmm. are, you know, I mean, much bigger than we are and much much more well known. And uh, and it was very it was very exciting uh, to to find that out. And uh, and it 
I don't know. It's uh, so yeah. If you did find out about us from that, uh, welcome aboard. Mm-hmm. I hope you like what you hear. <laughs> so abandoned um, ship. We're gonna keep with that for a while. Oh, and it did. Now, David, you should be happy about this. What, what's it? In Movie Maker magazine, they did say that we probably do have. We probably are number one with several bullets. Um, when it comes to podcast comes names, to podcast names, and of course, yeah. David, you came up with the name, and it's it wonderful. Thank so you. I have you. But, to, uh, I have you to thank for that. Speaking of things that are bigger <laughs> and more well known, and speaking of Dave Chen um, from this last film cast, okay, he's. He's bigger and more well known. Yeah, I know, but I just don't know where you're going. Uh, he wrote uh, a blog. Oh, that's right. Uh, yes, yes. During our hi- hiatus. Yeah. A- another very nice mention because li- I know a lot of people uh, are fans of Dave Chan on the internet. He's a presence. He sure is. A dynamic presence. <laughs> dynamic presence. <laughs> um, that's no, for you, we, Dave. Yeah. Uh, we kid Dave Chan. <laughs> oh, I haven't my. watched Bill Maher in like two years. I don't know why I'm suddenly slipping you, into this. You win. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, and that was a really nice. He mentioned uh, it sort of did his list of um, podcasts that are essential to him. I can't yeah. remember his actual phrase. Podcasts I can't live without. Yeah, there you go. That was so. very nice. But I want to talk about the comment section. You do? Yeah. Ah, you're kind of taking a page from my book here, David. Oh no, you you misunderstand. Oh okay. Because I'm not hurt or offended the way you would be. I have much thicker skin. That's uh, that's about right. <laughs> And maybe it's uh, I'm just more secure in who I am. Oh man! In most ways, there there are some there are some large weak spots in my armor, but I don't like to <laughs> yeah. I don't like to say what they are. Uh, that's a good the, call. For the most part, I'm a very secure individual. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess I just wanted to talk about this idea that we are uh, bitter and cynical. Yeah. And snarky. Yeah. And it's odd that you bring this up because it actually leads to. Uh, uh, an internet discussion I was having with somebody uh, today. So go right ahead. And I want to make very clear that if uh, that a we're just talking about the commenters, and b even if you are the, one of the commenters who said a negative thing about us, I'm not I'm not mad at you. I don't judge you. You have the right to your own opinion. I'm mad at you. <laughs> Tyler is, of course. Um, but what did hurt a little bit is someone compared us to the hate cast. Yeah. At AV Club, which I also hate for. Okay. It's uh, snarkiness. Do you now? Let me ask you this: Do you? Ha- I'm sorry to use the word hate now, but like, uh-huh. do you hate all things the hater? Because I do like some of her articles, and I do enjoy her uh, tolerability index uh, in the Onion itself. I I generally dislike the hater. Okay. Uh, I haven't read the uh, tolerability index in a long time. It's, okay. Uh, um, and now I'll I I will admit to. Uh, a certain level of cynicism. <coughs> yep. I don't know. I don't know that I'm bitter. I guess, like my armor, there are some spots. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little, a little bit bitter. There are yeah. a couple of more successful podcasters that uh, put a, a bitter taste in my mouth. <laughs> Not Dave Chen. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he's of course talking about Paul Goebel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but a. We're not snarky because for the simple reason that we uh, have – we always have the reasoning to back up the mm-hmm. shit we say. If yeah. we're negative about something, it's for reason – it's for a good reason and we will give you that reason. Yeah. Snark I, to me is is hollow negativity. That's the way I've always seen it. Yeah, I think they arrive at their conclusion first uh, and then maybe if, if you're lucky – lucky is a relative term – but if you're lucky, they will find reasons to back up their conclusion. Mm-hmm. But 
definitely the conclusion is there first. The conclusion almost always being a negative one. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, it's uh, that 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 comparison did bother me a, a fair amount because um, I've not heard the hate cast. I, I've I've heard that some people really don't care for it because it is you know the essence of snark. I don't like Emily um, <clears throat> Gillette in general. Okay, now I'm she's sure she's not a nice person. I just don't like the stuff she. Yeah, and she kind of like her content. Yeah, I mean, she kind of puts herself out there as as this that you know maybe it's a maybe it's kind of a persona that she's putting on. Maybe mm-hmm. it's who she is. I really don't know. I've heard she's been on the slash film cast, and I've mm-hmm. heard her, and she's and she's uh, you know she's always fairly articulate on there, and and so yeah, I want to uh, again uh, to continue qualifying. Yeah, uh, I think Emily Gillette is a very intelligent person and mm-hmm. a smart writer. Yeah, uh, I just don't I don't like the persona that she's put out there, and because yeah. she has. Uh, intentionally put that persona out there. I don't feel bad yeah. about not liking it. It's right, and it's and, in the public domain. I can feel however I feel about it. And in that comment section, it, it is frustrating because the person and the person, to their credit, does say, you know, they talk about us, they talk about the hate cast, and then they say, I don't like this element, and they say, admittedly, I'm talking more about the hate cast than mm-hmm. battleship pretension. And so it's like, okay, well, thank you for qualifying that, but at the same time, part of me is just like, well, then don't, don't, don't. <laughs> lump us in with that if but you don't the, if you don't like us then don't like us because david is bitter and cynical that's why okay, i don't let me like talk us. about that because we addressed the bitterness we've addressed snark i want to talk about cynicism okay because i have long been a, a <coughs> cynical in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um but i'm not a reactionary cynic mm-hmm. i'm cynical in a way that is i think uh helpful i think uh, i i think cynicism and snark get put get lumped together too often. I don't mm. think a little bit of cynicism is a bad thing. I yeah. think it's a good thing. Sounds like you're saying people should be more cynical. That's another Bill Maher reference. That's was, for you, buddy. I was trying to steer around it, but uh, I'm glad you yeah. took it for me. Uh, you took the bullet for me there. Yeah, on, took the helm. The, the Bill Maher thing. Um, it, it doesn't... Okay. When you're a fan of an art form that is also a big money generator mm-hmm. it doesn't hurt to be a little cynical you know it it doesn't hurt to to assume that a lot of times the goal is to get your money first and yeah. to be art second yeah and um i don't assume this out of the box on everything mm-hmm. uh but it is the sort of attitude that i um carry around with me and i think it makes me I think being a guarded cinema lover, yeah, uh, especially in this day and age, with uh, just where you know, for the, all the big movies, it's all about the opening weekend and and sequels and merchandising and stuff like that. It helps me to be a better cinema lover, to be mm-hmm. a little guarded. And I I know I often, both on here and on my Twitter feed, will make fun of whatever the big new movie is because yeah. I don't care. Uh, I don't care to see it. And the more the more people want me to see it, the less I'm going to see it. That's a little bit contrarian. Yeah. But I think it's helpful. I think if we keep... Now, it's one thing for these you know other podcasts who are reviewing these movies to go see the movie. That makes sense. They're reviewing Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. But uh, to just go into a multiplex, an IMAX theater... Uh, a sequel. I'm looking at you, Iron Man 2. Uh, hey, I want to see Iron Man 2. I, I don't. Um, right. Well, don't don't judge me for like for wanting to see it. I'm not judging you, but I'm just I saying go in there a little bit guarded. 
a little yeah. bit cynical. I just want to rescue the word cynical, even from I, I respect and love Conan O'Brien, but mm-hmm. he had he had this big his his sort of speech at the end of his his yeah. show about about how people shouldn't be cynical, and everyone congratulated him for it. And I kind of felt like I was alone in the room, going, "It's okay to be a little bit cynical. It's not the same as being dismissive or being snarky." Yeah. Or being, being just cynical like, is a is a philosophy of life. Well, and like there, I mean, cynicism is really, I mean, uh, a very close cousin to just realism mm-hmm. and just facing what reality is, or and, skepticism, or skepticism. It's really, you know, um, and especially as you say in this business where there's so much money to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, I say this business as if you and I are a part of it. Um, although thanks. we are now, thanks to Movie Maker Magazine. <laughs> thanks, Movie Maker Magazine. <laughs> it's fun to say, isn't it? Um, but, uh, I was talking with a friend of the show, Greg Helvey, uh, who, as we've mentioned before, uh, he was nominated for an Academy Award. And when that happened, of course, I mean, he got all kind. you know, he didn't have an agent. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think he had a manager and he, all of a sudden he started getting all these offers and taking all these meetings. And, uh, and he just talked about how he had to keep in mind what I, what I don't think he phrased it this way, but I will definitely say he had to keep in mind a certain degree of cynicism mm-hmm. and realize that while he is trying to make art, the bulk of the people in Hollywood that are making the, are making the decisions, they don't care about the art. They're there to make money. There's nothing wrong with making money, but it will, it will often, if you're not careful, if you're an artist and you're not careful then their attempts to make money will dilute your art because something that is more diluted mm-hmm. will probably make more money and and for them the art you know the film it might as well be you know it could be corn it could be cars it really doesn't matter mm-hmm. what it is as long as it can make the money and so he had to remind himself of that over and over again uh, as he took one meeting after another, and I mean, he ran across people who talked about how hard they would they would try and sell him, and he's just like, "That's I, I appreciate that, but at the same time, uh, you know, if you're when you try so hard, then after a while, it's just like uh, you're you're gonna want you're gonna want to make money as you know as mm-hmm. well, and so you will push me for things that will make money. Movies like Kavi, you know, if it were a feature length film." Those aren't money makers, you know, mm-hmm. so you need to find somebody that is there with you. And so in that in, in his case, being cynicism about the being cynical. <clears throat> what was that? I said being cynical. Being yeah, it's, you said being cynicism. Oh, I'm sorry, being cynical, yes. I'm sorry. Embodying cynicism. Indeed. Yeah, I am cynicism. <laughs> um but uh, being cynical in his case, it it helped him find you know, kinda uh separate uh the I hate to put it this way, kinda the the sharks, like the corporate sharks, mm-hmm. from people who actually probably can help them. Now, of course, they also are in it for money as well, but they might be and a little more. The corporate sharks can help you. Oh yeah, as well is, and that again, being cynic, being cynicism, yeah, <laughs> will help you navigate those, yeah, the waters that are populated with corporate sharks. Yeah, I mean, well done. <laughs> Look at you. Um, yeah, and so I think I think walking around with a like a Pollyanna ish view of the world i mean you know I, in a in a few weeks i'm going to be doing a more than one le- uh, more than one lesson episode about happy go lucky with the companion film being harvey uh-huh. and basically i'll be talking about the you know the idea of being positive but of course being positive is not the same as being naive yeah and so just kind of finding that balance and when you're when you're a part of uh, a business uh 
you know, and that does include critics because critics are, as we, as you and I have said, they're kind of consumer advocates. And so they're looking out for you, mm-hmm. um, the, the consumer, um, when you're a part of that business, you do need to be a little bit cynical, maybe even more cynical than in, in, in most other businesses. And so, um, yeah, so yeah, I, uh, but of course I, I'm almost positive that the person who, <clears throat> who wrote the comment and yes, if you listen, I apologize if I'm making a generalization, but I would be because they paired it with like bitterness and event and eventually, you know, snarkiness, um, or just snark. Uh-huh. Um, I think they probably meant it in like the, the, the worst possible sense. Yeah, I just I, I just want to defend the word cynicism, yeah. and also just to uh, be a little bit of a consumer advocate of my own. And it, you know, don't just think, I'm not just talking about uh, you know Fox and Paramount and, mm-hmm. and and DreamWorks and stuff like that. Um, even the stuff that we think are, is cool and puts out uh, consistently good product mm-hmm. uh, from Magnolia to IFC to Criterion. Mm-hmm. They're still a business. Oh, yeah. And uh, our not giving them a free pass keeps them honest. Yeah. They need us to buy their stuff, and let's not just buy it just because it says Criterion on it. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's you, you wrote a blog about uh, you know Pixar, for example, um, and do we give Pixar a free pass? And it's like and, – and though I'm more of a fan of Pixar than you are, you shouldn't give anything a free pass. Yeah. Certainly a company, and I'd say maybe be a little more lenient with an artist, like a, an artist yeah. specifically, but as sure. far as any kind of company, you know, that has to, I mean, by definition, they need to make money to keep going and keep putting stuff out, even if it's great stuff, that's fine, but they do need to make money, mm-hmm. and so, um, and this actually leads into, we'll talk about it very briefly, and then we got to keep going, yeah. sorry, everybody, um, I was sick, David and I haven't spoken in yeah. a while. But also, this isn't like our normal, like... It's some of our past like yeah. twenty minute ramblings about whatever the fuck. Yeah, this is your big fun T shirt and such. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, this is an actual discussion about uh, <laughs> the movie industry. Okay, um, somebody who uh, is a big a big fan of us, by the way. He's he's very he's very positive um, about us. Um, he uh, he put a Facebook status update saying. I don't think I could ever be a, a film critic because I'm not pretentious and merciless, uh, merciless enough. <laughs> and I remember just thinking like, Hey, and, and first like the pretentious thing, like I think you and I probably not as much as we could have, but you and I have, we've talked about the word pretentious and how it's overused. And I don't think people really know what it means. Yeah. Um, but at time. the same time, but we welcome, we have inadvertently welcomed being called pretentious by putting the word pretentious man, in it our certainly name. appears. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, that's. Uh, but hey, what can you say? It's the best name in podcasting, um, arguably, according arguably. to Movie Maker Magazine. Arguably, the word they used was arguably. Did they say it? They said, "Oh yeah, of course." Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sure you've memorized this thing by now. I just saw it when I came over to David's. Um, but uh, <coughs> but it did get me thinking. Along the you know to to continue what we've been talking about, like the word merciless, like saying how merciless critics are, and part of me is like, well. First off, I don't think we are all that. But at the same time, it's like, how are, you know, we are standing back and commenting and discussing what is quite possibly one of, one of like the top five most merciless industries <laughs> uh, in the history of industry. Yeah, you know? it's, it's called show business, not show friends. <laughs> 
You've never heard that before? No. Oh, good for you. It's a dumb thing that people say. It's a say. dumb thing that people say, <laughs> and I'm mad. I, I'm glad that you said that other people said it, because I was mad at you. Um, but, the, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, while I don't, while I don't think that uh, critics have to be merciless, and I think that that's a, a kind of an overgeneralization, um, you know, it's, it, it, it does frustrate me when people, when talking about criticism, it's like, why can't you guys just like things? It's like, because... Some things are bad, and some things are not necessarily bad on purpose, but they didn't put forth the effort to be good because they recognized that in this particular film or series of films mm-hmm. or whatever, they don't have to be. And that kind of cynicism is itself merciless, and it assumes the worst about you, the consumer. And if I was just positive about everything, then you know, then I would just recommend everything, and it and wouldn't you'd be letting them get away with it. <clears throat> you'd be letting them get away with it. I like to think we're keeping and, them honest, David. And just uh, the uh, the people who say that kind of thing, like, why can't you just enjoy, uh, enjoy it? Like, just have the humility to recognize that some people might know more about a thing than you do. You yeah. know? Like, here's here's a, here's a deal. Um, I don't have, like, great taste in food. Like, I'm not a big foodie. Mm-hmm. But I recognize that people do, and I respect them. Yeah. And... I know that I have an unsophisticated palate because I occasionally go through the Del Taco drive-thru drive yeah, yeah. and enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I recognize that, uh, I, and, I, and I respect people who are food critics or mm-hmm. who take food more seriously than I do. And yeah. I just wish these other people, it's okay with me if you don't want to take movies seriously. You got your own stuff in your life. Yeah. But just respect that I do and respect that others do and respect that I know more than you do yeah. because I take it seriously. Yeah, and and I do think that the more you know about something, um, the more you are qualified. And this sounds like you and my, you and I are just trying to justify our own existences, but frankly, eh, our existences are under attack on a frequent basis. <laughs> and so, um, <clears throat> so you've got a persecution complex, I think. I'll show you. The, I'll show you some stuff. <laughs> um, but the, you know, it's. The the more you know about something, the more qualified that you the more qualified you are to determine what is good and and isn't. But at the same time, you're not the one who decides this. It is still subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're in a better position to explain why you believe a certain mm-hmm. thing. You know, and and also the 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 flip the flip side of that coin is that you know if something is good, if you say something is good. You know, because it, it fascinates me. People will get mad when you say that something that they love is bad. But if you say something that they hate is good, well, then they hate you for that, too. You know, it's, <laughs> people say, like, why can't you be more positive? I am. I think this film is great. That film was boring. You're just trying to piss me off, you know. <laughs> and so it's just like, ah, oh, OK, well, never mind then. Um, one of my favorite things, uh, it was a clip that I found online of, uh, Jul- you know, you mentioned uh, uh, food. Uh, Julia Child, uh-huh. it was, there was just a brief snippet of interview in which she was talking about McDonald's French fries. Uh-huh. And she was talking about how they used to be delicious uh-huh. before, back when they used, you know, before they switched to like a, a more dietary, you know, conscious uh, uh, oil. Oh, and right. they used to use, uh, I think, I don't remember what it, what it was, but, but something that certainly wasn't as healthy. But it tasted it, that made the fries taste great, and she was just like, "Ah, oh, this new stuff they use it's it's not it's not good at all." But it's just weird in general to hear Julia Child talk about French fries at all, yeah. um, her French cooking book aside. <laughs> and so, like, but it's one of those things where I, I watch that. I'm just like, "That's refreshing that she can just enjoy that." 
but she's got the freedom to enjoy it because she can justify it. She can pinpoint what McDonald's used to do right, what they mm-hmm. do wrong now, and how they could get back to making better tasting French fries. And it's just like you can bring that. We discussed this when Jason Eakman was on the show. You can take that level of discernment and and critical thinking and apply it to to anything and and. You know, someone would say, like, why is she talking about French fries? Because everyone eats them, and they can be really great. And so, I don't know, it's just, uh, I'm, I'm frequently fascinated by, uh, I'm fascinated is the wrong word, uh, infuriated by uh, <laughs> the way uh, people uh, respond to critics. And not just because I am one, but uh, but I don't know, it's, we've been talking way too long about this, but... Uh, <laughs> So if uh, so, thanks to Dave Chen for the uh, no, but seriously, thanks to Dave out. Chen, thanks to thanks to Movie Maker Magazine, and again, if you are that commenter, I don't, I, I I'm just opening up a discussion here. Absolutely, feel free to email me at david at battleshippretension david at battleshippretension dot com. Yeah. Although I still can't get into my email, we'll have to talk about that later. Really, I'm having trouble. Yeah, I thought I gave you the password. You did, and it's not working. It's not working. Uh, ah, so if I haven't gotten back to you, it's because I all right, I'm some for some reason been blocked out of my email, and, and uh, I could. It goes to my Gmail account, and I could just respond from that, but then you guys would all have my personal email account. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I do. Uh, I just respond really? from my Hotmail account, and uh, that probably isn't the smartest thing in the world to do. Um, but uh, admittedly, when, when someone says good things, uh, which is the vast majority of the time, then I'll just respond from my personal email, because what do I care? But every once in a while, not very often at all, uh, we will get uh, somebody who, who has a lot of problems with our you know show and i'll be like i'll I'll use the official email for this one (laughs) so okay so if you are that commenter and you want to uh, discuss uh the merits or evils of cynicism with me david at battleshippretension.com i'll get back to you as soon as i can get into my email absolutely we're through it yeah all right let's get into it shall we indeed uh, last or last episode two weeks ago we talked about uh noir films and we talked specifically about the sort of first wave (laughs) Of yeah. noir films, the, the the true noir, the from, uh, I mean, starting in the early forties, uh, but mostly mid to late forties into the early fifties. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're going to talk about what's known as neo noir. Neo noir, yes. Um, and uh, I'm not talking about Keanu Reeves' outfit in The Matrix. Uh, I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Come on, give it up. I, I don't have anything for you. <laughs> that was <laughs> just, just, just keep talking. All right, I'll just um, be over here. No, but let's. Uh, what uh, neo noir? Of course, neo meaning new or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, roughly new. I think right? so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, here's the deal. Okay, let's let's switch from noir to talk about horror films for a second as a way to get into it. Okay. Okay. I'm going to talk about Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Okay. Uh, which has been made into a movie three times. Okay. Uh, Are you including the invasion? Oh, I guess four times. Okay. Yeah, because there's the there's uh, the original. Uh, uh, what's the director's name? I don't remember. Uh, I'm an idiot. I know that Kevin McCarthy's in it. Uh, yeah, well, the Kevin McCarthy one. Then there's the one with Donald Sutherland. Yeah. That who directed that? I don't know. I, I don't know. There's the Abel Ferrara one. That's uh, not that hard, uh, easy to find. And then there's the invasion, which I, mm-hmm. I don't know anything about. Um, but each time it's the same general story, but each time the invasion of the paranoia and what it represents in the minds of the contemporary audience watching it mm-hmm. is a different thing. You know, there are different. You know, there there are fears of uh, of 
communism or other forms of brainwashing in the 50s. There are, uh, uh, I, I don't know, what, what are the fears in the 70s? Help me out here. Oh, uh, well, I mean, it was, in the 70s, I mean, it was like a fear of just just a general distrust. Hang on, there's a, a, an hit. emergency going um, by. Oh, sure, well, like the American government. Yeah, uh, between it, Vietnam and Watergate, just a distrust of basically all authority. Yeah. And, and you know, the Kennedy assassin, assassinations had happened and Martin Luther King. And and so just, I, I'd say a general distrust of almost everything mm-hmm. uh, came about in the 70s. And then the, I'm sure the one this, uh, uh, this most recent one uh, that I technically worked on, but I don't I never saw it. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I uh, did it too. Probably has for a spe- uh, DVD special features. Oh, that's right. All right, awesome. We should host a show or something. <laughs> it has a lot to do with terrorism, I'm sure. Uh, and so that's what we want to. That's that's sort of the approach I want to take when talking about neo noir. Like, okay. what films revived this sort of storytelling and aesthetic style, mm-hmm. and for what reasons? Yeah. Um, and I think we'll find that. Uh, I, when when do you think neo noir first got underway? Uh, was it Chinatown? Was there something before I Chinatown? Think, I, I would venture to say, un, like, underway in, like, a big sense, like, mm-hmm. where it was all of a sudden people were like, oh, I haven't seen this in a while. Like, you know, on a on a larger, on a fairly large scale, I would say probably Chinatown, yes. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's looking at my, my list here, that's probably the oldest one uh, on my list. So I would venture to say Chinatown. Um, so, what we do, uh, again, we're going to talk about the same sort of, reasons uh as with the invasion of the body snatchers that in the 70s um there a sort of bubble had burst in the late 60s mm-hmm. you mentioned or uh, starting in the early 60s with with jfk but you mentioned martin luther king yeah and uh and and, and of course vietnam and um the sort of thing that we've been <laughs> that the original noir films were uh reacting against or mm-hmm. at least reacting to uh this pressure to see a uh, pressure for america to see itself a certain way is mm-hmm. as, as happy and prosperous um and finally the the dam kind of burst on that yeah and uh i I'd, I'd say that's that's the reason why i mean uh one of the things we talked about uh two weeks ago is a sort of uh a lack of trust that's inherent in mm-hmm. uh or a lack of trustworthiness i'd say is inherent in in noir films it's it's one of the key elements yeah um and uh chinatown's a great example because it's it really is about uh government to a certain extent but really just the things that are even above government the people who are yeah. pulling the strings and yeah. uh th- this idea Especially with with Vietnam, that we we the people aren't in control anymore. Yeah. If we ever were. Yeah. Uh, and that's a that's a big part of the theme of Chinatown, I would say, because um, this is an entire. Uh, this is essentially about um, what is what is it today? And at the time the movie was made, uh, 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 the second largest metropolis in the, mm-hmm. in the country, Los Angeles, uh, being built through being made possible through backhanded deals that uh, that had horrible effects on people outside the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is essentially building the American dream 
on the on the broken backs of true Americans. Mm, nice. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, you know when you look at the old the old uh, film noir films noir, um, <laughs> then you run across the, the the our hero, for lack of a better word, our hero would have to, you know would either be a part of the underworld or would have to dip into the underworld to achieve his goals. Uh, Neo-noir, I mean, almost everything that I, not everything, but a lot of the things that I'll be bringing up uh, today, um, they, the the hero doesn't really go anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, he just kind of finds himself all of a sudden in the midst of this thing. And the, and, and it's even more hopeless than, than the, uh, than the older uh, film noir because, because it's institutions all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, the, the horrible, you know, the murders and the, and the betrayal and, and all that sort of thing. It happens on such a large scale that you, you know, you can't stop it. You know, you might as well just forget it. You know, like that's the, that's the last line in Chinatown for a reason. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. And in this case, like, you know, it, it's interesting that the film is called Chinatown not very much of it takes place in Chinatown, the, the climax, yeah, exactly. but also he used to work in Chinatown yeah. and the reason he, that he stopped, uh, you know, working there and kind of went into his own thing is he saw like the corruption and the attitude of the, the people who were supposed to be, you know, upstanding and good, you know, the, the district attorney, the cops, just the, the city government in general. And he saw that and he wanted to get away from it, but that's the thing you can never get away from it. You know, and what I like about Chinatown, especially like the the cynicism uh, of that film, like the extreme bitterness and cynicism Mm -hmm. is, as you say, it's not it's not even just the institution he's fighting. That is really just the puppet of these other people who are who are above the institution. They're above Mm -hmm. everything, you know. And so I think you you run across that. And, And of course, it's no mistake that that was made, that Chinatown was made. In the seventies, you know, when you look at at uh, you look at Nixon, I'd say Nixon primarily, and just that he and and all these other and Kissinger are just viewed as like these puppet masters that they orchestrate this war, they they you know they do illegal things uh, to you know make sure that uh, oh I want to make sure I win this next election because it's all about power, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like well you're already the president, you know, <laughs> how much more power do you need and which and that's a question that reminds me of a question that uh, Jack Nicholson asks uh, John Houston in which he says you know how much money are you worth you you know you don't have to worry about money anymore like what you know what else can you get you know mm-hmm. what else do you want at which he says and he says the future mm-hmm. and just you know and and his answer there is just like oh my gosh this guy is like the embodiment of evil. <laughs> uh, I think our I think our episode about evil has been taken down. But uh, in my in my mind, the greatest villain of all time is Noah Cross in Chinatown. Well, speaking of the future, yeah. I want to segue into my next next film I want to talk yep. about, which is Ridley Scott's nineteen eighty two Blade Runner. Yeah, um, which uh, in in a lot of ways recalls uh, Fritz Lang's Metropolis, mm-hmm. which is not a noir film, but is part of the German Expressionist movement, which is <coughs> aesthetically the biggest influence on the the, the, the original noir films mm-hmm. of the forties and fifties. Um, but uh, there's a uh, th- there's another layer to the dystopia mm-hmm. of um, of Blade Runner, mm-hmm. um, which is. 
the the class system is still there in in, in metropolis it's very much uh it, it's it's not even a metaphor it's just right there in your face the mm-hmm. rich people live above ground or live at the top of the city yeah the poor people live at the bottom you know yeah. it's sort of a, it's like hg wells the time machine with yeah. the elois and the Molochs, right that's what they're called uh elois and the morlocks morlocks, morlocks yeah. yeah um this one is more cynical in a way mm-hmm. um and more nuanced in the the fact that uh there are all these entertainments mm-hmm. uh and it's 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 no mistake that uh th- that um so much of the Los Angeles in the future looks like Tokyo yeah um uh, and I'd say maybe uh, based on what I the little bit I know about Japanese culture, maybe Osaka more than Tokyo. Okay. Uh, in that there's there's so many entertainments and so many distractions going on all the time, you know. Which mm-hmm. is and this is where the comparison to Osaka ends. Osaka yeah. is just uh, th- there's just a lot of stuff downtown to do. You're saying it's I, an evil place. No, that's not what. I, that's, that's why I'm saying it ends here. Okay, all right. Just it's like that, but. Don't go there is what you're saying. I'm not saying that at all. All right. Um, Full of sin is what you're saying. Uh, oh, g- given. That's a given. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but th- this this version of this this dystopia in Blade Runner, the poor people don't even know. They don't even realize mm-hmm. how oppressed they are because they have all, they're always being advertised at and distracted and there's, uh, you know, women dancing and there's... yeah. Uh, just so much to do and buy. Yeah. Um, uh, so, th- and that's another form of institutionalization, not mm-hmm. uh, not governmental, but corporate. Yeah. Um, and of course, when we see the the sort of the villains, I mean, we we think the villains are the replicants. Yeah. But the actual villains are the uh, uh, the Rydell, right? Tyrell. Tyrell. What is Rydell? Mm. I don't know. Oh, Sounds like a truck company. I almost I said the Hanso fan Foundation. So no, that's not obviously it. <laughs> two more episodes left to lost. Yeah, that's all I can think of. You're, about. of course, thinking about Whale and Yutani. Um, <laughs> that's from Aliens. Yeah. Uh, um, no, but the... What is it? Tyrell? Tyrell Corporation. They're the real villains. Mm-hmm. And they're... Uh, and they are a corporation. That's, yeah. It's in the name. It's right trying, there. They're yeah. not even trying to hide it. Absolutely. <laughs> they're right out in the open about it. Uh, so that I guess that's what I'm trying to say there is that's the institution mm-hmm. in that one. Well, and also there's, I mean, there there's definitely that. And it sounds as if, you know, the the police department is basically at the beck and call of this institution, uh-huh. uh, you know, this, this uh, corporation. corporation yeah. um, you know, like, oh, hey, we, uh, these things we created, these replicants, uh, they uh, realized that they're going to die real quick and they're really upset. And so, uh, hey, cops, do you think you could take care of this for us? And mm-hmm. that's just what they do. Um, and the idea that, like, the idea of personal freedom being taken away so much that uh, Deckard, the uh, Harrison Ford character, he's not even a cop anymore. Yeah. But he can still be brought in. And it's just like, oh, no, you're not done yet. We need you to do this. And you don't really have much of a choice in the matter. Um, and so. But what I what I like about and and what it has to say about uh, 
uh, I, I wrote a, a, a very long paper uh, in college about Blade Runner and just how fascinating it is because from a sci-fi standpoint, but also from a noir standpoint, because of the, na- the, the comments that it makes on the, the, the film noir, uh, you know, anti-hero. And in this, in this film specifically, uh, you know, the, I mean, it's got, this, this is all going to be very interlocked with uh, uh, sci-fi. What are you smiling at? I was just thinking about my Neo from the Matrix joke. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was several minutes ago. Would you like go to make on. it again? No, go on. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't think anyone's just tuning in. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Those just joining us, uh, D- uh, David's very pleased with himself. <laughs> um, but the, uh, but just what fascinates me is that the the seem as you say the seeming villains in Blade Runner are you know they're the replicants and they aren't human strictly speaking but they have way more human really they're more human than human what who is that who's saying that that's white zombie white but zombie it was that's also the Tyrell Corporation's motto that's where white zombie got the name of the song oh okay i forgot that that <laughs> so you remember the motto but the the name of the corporation no you don't you don't have i it. remember the motto because of the white zombie song oh okay <laughs> all right fair enough um but the, uh, you know, they, they're really the only ones to show human emotion, whether it be fear or, like, they actually seem upset by the fact that they're going to die. Everyone else, I mean... Yeah, well, let's talk about, I mean... I mean, Tyrell himself gets killed, and he just seems to kind of take it in stride that, oh, yeah, I guess this is what's going to happen. And, and Deckard himself doesn't show a great deal of emotion. And just the, the fatalism, which we didn't talk... But then again, oh, Deckard may be a Republican. Well, there is talk of that, but um, yeah. But um, yeah, we go from when we see uh, uh, what's the name of the actor uh, who plays the first replicant who shoots the guy during the oh uh, Brian shoot okay well he's creepy yeah he kills a guy yeah clearly we're like oh these escaped replicants these are the bad guys yeah and it's amazing that by the end um I guess spoilers but mm-hmm. the when the when the head when there's the big death scene at the end yeah it's uh, just heartbreaking. Yeah, and it's a it's a it's a machine dying. Yeah, but it's um, as I'm sure I said on this podcast when we did death scenes, it's one of the best death scenes in the history of movies. In my Absolutely, opinion. yeah. Uh, and that that's a really fascinating uh, idea to me. That um, and it and it and I think it goes. I, I think it's important to what neo noir is, where in, in the noir films. Uh, our heroes would get mixed up in the underworld and get mixed up in the bad stuff or the evil stuff, but there still was, there was the good world out there Mm -hmm. and then there there was the evil world. There were good Mm -hmm. people and bad people, you know? And sometimes a character would, um, would go from one to the other, like Fred McMurray in Double Indemnity, who uh, essentially becomes a bad guy and has to pay for it. Yeah. Uh, but what we see in, um, in the neo-noir films is, is this, this nuance and this idea of perspective and who is, mm-hmm. you know, who is bad, uh, and who is worse and what did their intentions have to yeah. say about it? You know, uh, in, is it, can you blame the replicants for the bad things they've done given, yeah. you know, uh, given their, the way they're created in their past. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I, th- I, I think that's, it, it makes the neo-noir films in a way even more, uh, 
despairing. Oh, absolutely. And just and the and the fact that, you know, I mean, th- there's no question that if if Bogart was still alive or if Blade Runner had been made like in the in the 40s or 50s, he would have played Deckard because uh-huh. and and Deckard is 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 so that type of of character just so uh, like the way he like like everyone else, he doesn't seem to care whether he dies or not because how could death be worse than this? Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's that is what you're absolutely right. Just the the old films uh, are very they're very black and white, and I don't say that simply because they're they're such an effective use of black and white. Uh-huh. But you know there is, and we do see a certain degree of of gray as far as the the nature of our characters. But still, if they wanted to, they could they could kind of stop what they were doing and then go out into the war into the world and be respectable people. But you look at, you know, the like Blade Runner and Chinatown and you realize that every everybody uh, is corruptible. Everybody lives in this, you know, I mean, it's always raining and everybody just looks miserable in Blade Mm -hmm. Runner. And uh, and in Chinatown, of course, the sun is shining because, oh, what a wonderful place. But literally everybody that's involved in in these stories, they're all flawed in some way. I mean, even like Burt Young in Chinatown. He may seem like this nice guy, but we see later on that he has hit his wife, you know, Uh which is a terrible thing. And so you're right. It's just like, oh, no, there is no black and white. Every single person is gray. And that's terrible. And and it's that kind of that that acceptance of Mm -hmm. of the acceptance of that fact that makes uh, that makes Deckard such a fascinating character because he doesn't seem that passionate about anything that he does, really. Um, because what's the point ultimately? Well, let's talk about that existentialism. There's okay. Okay, there were only three films that I had to get to, which was okay. Chinatown, Blade Runner, and this next one. Um, and then we can, uh, you know, make sure to get into your list. Um, yeah. We've, we've talked about the institution of the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about the institution of corporations. Yeah. This next film is not an institution, but just uh, an overall spiritual dread and a feeling of i think almost uh abandonment by by god or whatever the higher power is and i'm, okay. I'm talking about david fincher seven. Oh, okay um there is you can't point to uh it, you know it's not these neo-noirs like the it's, it's not like the other ones where there's mm-hmm. an institution there's nothing really to point to except for this one person yeah uh but he is it's not just for fun that he's um acting out his crimes and holding in you know uh you know throughout the entire city uh mm-hmm. based on uh a sort of i don't know if it's biblical but a a, a very catholic concept i don't okay. know i you know you probably know more about the seven deadly sins than i do i actually don't from. because uh it's not it, like the seven deadly sins are not in the bible right um it's uh it came about uh, i don't know much about the history but i you know it's one of those things ever since seven came out mm-hmm. everyone's like oh man you know the seven deadly sins like yeah that's not actually in there by the way <laughs> um you know they're deadly because kevin's you know kevin spacey has decided to make them deadly <laughs> um but and, and in a way this uh Seven is a neo-noir mostly because of the aesthetic. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, even though it's not, uh, you know, dark black and white, it is just about the most oppressive city yeah. that a movie has ever taken place in, outside of Christopher Nolan's Gotham, maybe. Um, 
We're just and it's same with Blade Runner. It's raining all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there doesn't seem like no one seems to have a nice place. <laughs> like no. everyone's apartment is is dingy. Yeah. You know, and I mean even the rich guy's office is well covered in his blood. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there, there literally is nothing nice to escape to. Yeah. Uh, everyone seems to be, everyone seems to be oppressed. It's not like Metropolis or the, or, or even Blade Runner or Chinatown where there's a class thing. No one we see isn't oppressed. And that's why I think it's, I get oppressed has different connotations. Maybe I shouldn't be using that word. Mm. Uh, but just there, everyone's under the thumb of something. Yeah. And the and that something is existence itself, or mm-hmm. perhaps God, if you want to look at it that way. Well, I mean, the other, or you could say the the oppression of our nature as people. And I mean, that's that's another. There, there's a, the the general nihilism of seven can be interpreted a lot of ways. None of them happy, by the way. Yeah. Um. But yeah, just the you know, and and I mean, it's summed up. I mean, maybe, perhaps maybe even too much of a button is put on it at the end with Morgan mm-hmm. Freeman's line, um, in which I don't recall... Well, I haven't seen it forever. I don't recall who he, uh, whom he is quoting. Yes, that's right. All right. Oh. Um, but, uh, but he says, you know, uh, the, he quotes somebody and says, the, the world is a good place and worth fighting for. And he says, I agree with the second part. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's, that really puts a button on the fil- the the thematic elements of seven but yeah it's it could be at the very least yeah like if you say okay well the film is about you know god and the oppression of god yeah it's like well if god's around he certainly is not a big fan of you and yeah. uh he will get you or, or, he or just maybe doesn't it's care. A, maybe it's about an absence of god yeah, yeah maybe maybe this is some a city that god has forgotten somehow yeah, yeah. uh maybe the maybe somewhere outside the rest of outside of the city yeah things are fine uh but the <laughs> This is a city that either has um, nothing looking out for it or yeah. something that doesn't like it yeah. looking out for it. Well, and I think I think probably the – with the possible exception of uh, Anton Chigurh, John Doe is the physical embodiment. You know how you and I, we, we are cynicism. <laughs> he is nihilism or fatalism, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, just – he he real he he come he, he realizes that uh that life w- w- there is no purpose you know i would say he probably does not believe in god um or if he does he certainly doesn't believe in in uh, uh, a merciful god mm-hmm. um and so he, at the very least he i think he realizes that there are no real consequences to our actions so let's just do whatever we want and that is in itself i mean that kind of fatalism i mean you wouldn't find it on overt display in the old uh, film noir, but, uh, you know, because that kind of philosophy, you really, people weren't comfortable with exploring that much. So they, it kind of, not to imply it wasn't there, but it was, mm-hmm. it was hidden better. Whereas you can just, you know, these days you can just come out and say all the stuff that he says. And much like the Joker in Dark Knight, he's, he's most frightening when you realize he's kind of making a certain degree of sense. Yeah, that's the thing about John. You you say do whatever you want, but that's not really what he's doing. I think mm-hmm. when uh, Seven is saying that when there's an absence of, I'm going to stop using the word God because, okay. um, for one thing, I don't believe it. So, yeah, but when there's an absence of a governing good, yeah, 
a general benevolence, you could say. Yeah, but I, I mean, but I, I use the word governing not okay. just because it's alliterative, but but some sort of good, be it be it God or be it law or be it just the uh, be it empathy or whatever is not innate mm-hmm. in man. If that's not there, then a sickness can take hold in the form of uh, a person. Uh, a single person can just decide what's good mm-hmm. uh, and what's right. And and then do whatever he wants with that. Right. Uh, that that's I think the the sort of that's the the message of of seven is that yeah we need to kind of all be on the same page on something <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh and it's a fly, you know it's I've been uh, uh, okay so I've been sick and pretty much homebound for the last two weeks and so I've been watching like all these. Uh, because I'm stupid, and I, I guess I like to make myself angry, um, I've been watching, like, all these uh, debates between, like, you know, Christopher Hitchens and then some Christian apologist and just, you know, back and forth. And the idea of without the governing good. Now, of course, the, the, the Christian apologist is talking about God. Um, but it could be, as you say, kind of almost whatever. Without that, wh- what's to stop somebody from doing these things? You know, it mm-hmm. ultimately doesn't mean much. Uh, if anything. And so, yeah, like we could, we could all try and get on the same page about this, but all it takes is one person to realize like, yeah, this is just a decision that we're making. Mm-hmm. I can just as easily not make it. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting, I mean, this is, you know, this idea is philosophically kind of scary. Um, I think regardless of, of what a person's beliefs can be, mm-hmm. because there are people like that, you know, there have been people, like that in the past and you know uh i i have a friend who's who's like obsessed with uh serial killers and uh and like everybody's got that friend exactly (laughs) yeah and he just and and his he reads about them and like their philosophies and i'm just like why would you put that in your head like (laughs) i i don't you know i can't i can't handle it but uh, he's just fascinated by it and uh i don't know it's uh exhausting but um yeah seven is a movie though that i uh I went from liking just because I thought it looked cool and yeah. it, I liked how gory it was and stuff mm-hmm. to hating because I was too cool for school mm-hmm. to now really loving. Yeah, I, uh, I I was down on seven for a long time. And I think maybe Alien 3 and Fight Club, both of which I don't mm-hmm. like, uh, discolored my feelings about yeah. seven. But after Zodiac, I, oh, revisit, yeah. I revisited it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a really great movie. It really is. We should do an episode on serial killers someday. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess there's that. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I want to bring up a couple others um, because that's the thing is, you know, films like The Man Who Wasn't There and L.A. Confidential mm-hmm. and Chinatown, you know, people are going to bring those up because they're very direct in their being, a ne- you know, a, a neo-noir and being a, in the case of like Man Who Wasn't There. I mean, it's. It's shot in a similar way. It's got Mm -hmm. a lot of the similar, uh, you know, like a narration and and all that sort of thing. Um, And the story itself is very similar. Um, So I don't even really want to talk about those that much. They're there um, and uh, and people are probably aware of them. And I and I I don't want someone to be like, you didn't mention this. Well, if I didn't mention it and it's probably because it's too obvious. And we're probably going to be talking about Man Who Wasn't There soon because we've got we're planning to do an episode on postmodern movies. Oh, indeed. Yes, absolutely. Um, well done, David. Um, but I do want to mention a couple here and there, and it's odd, it's very odd that you mention um, 
the idea of uh, seven takes place in what New York? Uh, they don't say. They I mean, don't say. It's filmed here. Okay. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess I just assumed it was New York. No, it's filmed here, but they do, they don't ever say. Okay. Here's a little uh, trivia: the um, the coffee shop where Morgan Freeman meets Gwyneth Paltrow mm-hmm. uh, for coffee at one point is the same coffee shop that Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke start their day at in Training Day. Oh yeah, yeah, it sure is. Same place. Do you know which uh, which coffee shop that is? I know it's called. I think it's called the Quality Cafe. I don't know exactly mm-hmm. where it is. I think it's downtown somewhere. Okay. Um, but uh, but the idea, and this is something that I mean, I'm, I'm sure we brought up a couple weeks ago, but just the idea of how how many of these films have to take place in the city it has to be urban because Mm -hmm. the nature the anonymity that comes with being in the midst of a city and you know it's you know we we've talked about the idea that uh the internet and the anonymity afforded people on the internet can allow allows them to do things that they would never do in life Mm -hmm. whether it be like you know like something porn related or just be way more negative than they are in life and I feel like that that idea is is associated with the big city in general. It's why I think it's one of the reasons why people are afraid to go there because you just associate negative, you know, crime and stuff with the big city because when you're for several reasons, the anonymity of it, but also just the idea of what I do doesn't matter. I'm just one of millions of people crammed into this space. Um and so like the role of the city uh in in film noir, new or old, uh, is is I would say crucial for the most part. Um, well, and now so, that I want to talk about rural noir. No, there, there there absolutely is some. Well, I, okay, that that there's a, there's not two more films that I had to talk about before okay. we finish. So let's okay, let's talk about your thing first. Um, let's so get, I, let's get your thing out of that. Indeed. <laughs> so I, I'll talk about a film that is predominantly sci-fi fantasy, but I know where you're going. going. Dark City. Yes. Okay. And so, yeah, Dark City is. To, I, I love the film. It's it's absolutely beautiful. Um, but and and I, I should I like spoil some of this stuff? It's basically this. I'll just say it's an anonymous city. The circumstances uh, uh, under which it uh, exists are very sci fi esque. And so um, they're, they're straight sci fi. Yeah, straight yeah. SF. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the story elements uh, that are like the specific story elements before you start to realize what's really going on are undeniably film noir right down to like, I mean, there's a detective who wears like a fedora mm-hmm. and some of the cars are, I mean, it, it seems to, the city itself seems to take place in a bunch of different times, both. I mean, there's a lot of like art deco, but then there's, you know, a, you know, David Fincher-esque apartments. Um, and there's a man who is kind of, he's on the run for something that he may or may not have done. He doesn't really remember. Um, and that there are, that there is, there are forces that he can't escape that are against him. And because they've decided this thing, you know, it it doesn't matter what it, what it is. Um, because they've decided that they are basically against him, there's nothing he can do. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, I mean, it really, uh, fits into the 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 film noir and certainly the neo noir noir genre quite a bit um and then of course it incorporates sci-fi i find that sci-fi and noir go together can go together very very yeah, well yeah we're seeing a lot of it now on, on sci-fi's caprica oh okay on, on the yeah. science fiction channel and the absolutely i know, i love that science fiction channel yeah they do some great science fiction absolutely there's nothing else worth mentioning. <laughs> um, but the uh, but yeah, and so Dark City just also just visually, I mean, it is 
it's the essence of of noir, of what noir is. It's directed certainly, by Alex Proyas, yeah. who made The Crow, yeah, and iRobot. <laughs> yeah, I, I I didn't hate iRobot. I yeah, hate some aspects of it, but I didn't hate it. Yeah, but it's it, it doesn't really uh, deliver on the promises made in uh, Dark City. Right. But um, or but in just Isaac Asimov's iRobot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It deliver it 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 ruins a lot of promises. Um, <laughs> but the um, but just the the tone of the story and the general tone of the film because it is it's a lot like Seven in that just these people the lives that they live you don't see how they could ever possibly be happy um, they may have happy memories but the lives that they're living now certainly don't seem they don't seem like they have any kind of good future certainly um, and then of course you come to realize that 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 they don't live happy lives and that they're certainly not in control of their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the tone of the story, the vi- the look of it visually, um, and the fa- and and the 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 writers of the film really struck on the idea it has to be a city mm-hmm. because changes you know the the city will change from time to time and you don't think about it. Um, it can be dark all the time and you don't really think about it because you can be walking around all day and not actually see the sun mm-hmm. when you're in a city and. And and so it's just it really boils down the essence of like urban noir and then of course gives it a, a science fiction twist. Um and so it's I I love Dark City on so many levels, but it really fits into it's one of the best examples of of neo noir because of the kind of the interesting twists that it gives it, you know. Um I th- I feel like noir is a lot like uh a lot like Western, uh, the Western genre where you can take a lot of the aspects of it and incorporate it incorporate it into your story, and uh, it can take place in in any number of of times and spaces and places and stuff. Yeah, and uh, you can and even it will take still... like uh, John Singleton's Four Brothers, which oh yeah, uh, I'm one of the as we as we've mentioned before. Yeah, uh, Pat Healy and I are the only people who like that movie. Yeah, um, but that's a western that happens oh, yeah. to take place in downtown Detroit. Yeah, in inner city Detroit. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, non-urban noir. What do you got? Oh man, there's two films that I have to mention, and, okay. and that you have to see. Not you. You've seen. Okay. Both, yeah. But the listener has to see these movies. Okay. Well, in both in, in both ways, I want to talk about. Um. Well, okay. The first one I talk about the anonymity. This is something you mentioned about the city. Yeah. But, in in a localized scale, you can be anonymous in the city. But in a global scale, and especially if you're from the city, you're gonna think of out there as anonymous because you're away mm-hmm. from everything. Yeah. So I want to talk about a movie where the initial crime takes place in a more populated area mm-hmm. and then the um, perpetrators run away to a small town. And I'm mm-hmm. talking about uh, the film One False Move. One False Move. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I didn't write that down. Um, oh, my gosh. That's a wonderful film. Which is probably the best Bill Paxton performance ever. And I'm a fan of him. But uh, I'd say that it's is a good performance. Yeah, the best he's ever been. I think. Yeah. Um. And and there's not. I I don't really want to go too much into the into the story because you should really see it. But I I just wanted to mention in that it's a it's a noir film mm-hmm. that takes place in a rural setting and uses that to great effect, both mm-hmm. in terms of um the sort of big to- big city cops for uh, and the small town cop played by Bill Paxton. Yeah. And in terms of race, because our guys who are on the run are black and the cops are white. Yeah. And in a, in one of the one of the perps is white. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's still it's a big part of it. In, oh yeah. 
uh, in a city that can be more, again, this anonymity thing, there are enough people, cities can still be very segregated. Oh, yeah. But they can be so segregated that you can, you can frankly not even be be aware mm-hmm. of large areas where certain min- or certain ethnicities live. You know, mm-hmm. uh, in a small town, yeah, there's the black side and the white side, maybe, but they're still in a small town. Yeah, and those tensions are face to face every day, and that's uh, that's a that's a big part of one false move. Mm-hmm. The other movie I want to talk about, uh, and this one this one's probably on your list, I think. Okay, maybe not. You talk about this institutionalism. Uh, that's a thing that can be brought down to a small scale, and 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 one man in a small town doesn't have to have a whole lot to be cock of the walk in that town. Yeah. Uh, and the movie I'm thinking of here is John Dahl's Red Rock West. Yep. Uh, which I'm, it was on your list. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a movie where Nicolas Cage plays a guy looking for work. He finds a way to make some money mm-hmm. a little dishonestly. Yeah. And all he needs to do to get away with it is get out of town. Yeah. And he can't do it. Yeah. He just cannot seem to get out of town. And um, now the thing I, the thing I said to set it up as far as one man running the town, saying too much about that is a bit of a spoiler. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, there's, there's literally nothing I can say without spoiling Red Rock West. Yeah. And it's a, and it's a, you know, a, a kind of an unknown film and so you don't want to you really don't want to spoil it but yeah because i feel like a lot of people haven't yeah. seen it and everyone who sees who hasn't seen it should see it yeah it's great yeah there is a there certainly is a a, a subgenre of of film noir it certainly is not as uh you know prevalent as like urban noir mm-hmm. but the idea of of people you know because people in small towns they they need to make money they need to live as well um but being in a small town in some cases might make it even more difficult because there's only so many jobs you can get mm-hmm. and there's only so far you, there's only so high you can go as far as, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, financial level. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so, so you kind of have this weird situation where you find people who might, might all of a sudden be willing to be dishonest. Red Rock West has a lot of this, be dishonest, be murderous, be whatever. Um, but they're surrounded by people that know them. And uh-huh. so it's hard to, you know, in, in the case of Red Rock West, Nicolas Cage is, is a stranger. But uh, but in the case of films like A Simple Plan, mm-hmm. you know, these are people that are well regarded in the community. Uh, at least Bill pa- Bill Paxton again. Uh, Bill Paxton is he's you know he's married. He has a you know a kid on the way. Simple Plan's second best Bill Paxton performance. Mm, I think Aliens probably has Bill Paxton's second best performance. Do you really think that's a great? But I mean, not that not to his fault, but he's working mm-hmm. from he's working from a James Cameron screenplay. There's that's, only so much depth to the character. That's true. Uh, and I say that being a fan of James Cameron, by the way. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's slight slight tangent. Um, like fear, like straight, like mm-hmm. straight up fear is very very difficult to play. And Without he, coming across silly or laughable. Yeah, yeah. And the character is funny, admittedly, but I think that's what makes it work. Yeah, and and it makes him not annoying. You know, he. He, we're talking about Bill Paxton and Aliens, by the way, everybody. Not a simple plan. Right. Um, but uh, no, his his performance it really like it finally gives us somebody we can relate to because all mm-hmm. of us are like, yeah, yeah, I'd be freaking out. That'd be me. And so <laughs> him being the audience surrogate and so and conveying legitimate fear 
while also making us laugh. There's a lot of complexity to what could have been a very one note performance. And so I think that's probably his second best. But you're, which one is, are you putting Simple Plan or One False Move at the number one? Oh, One False Move. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Simple Plan is probably third. And uh, while I don't like the film that much, uh, Frailty, he's, he's, very, frailty. he's very good in Frailty. I, I don't like it either, but man, yeah. he's great in that. Um, back to business. Um, <laughs> so A Simple Plan, it's... I just uh, want to talk about One False Move some more. Okay. Like, no, I, I don't actually. Oh, all right. Because I don't have anything more, more to say for the topic. Yeah. I just want to talk about what a great movie it is. It really is. Carl it's Franklin, by the way, is the director. I forgot to say his name. He, yeah. made, he made Devil in, the, Devil in the Blue Dress. Which is also, yeah. Um, yeah, and he made Out of Time, which is, uh, mm. uh, I, I don't know, a lot of people made fun of it because it, ha- it has a dumb name and it was really cheaply made. But it yeah. is uh, it is sort of, um, you know, it's almost, instead of rural, rural noir, it's like, beach community noir yeah uh, but it's it's just a passable genre movie yeah. that's fun to watch and that's also carl franklin but anyway back to civil plan yeah so you get so you get people who of course are they everyone knows about oh well this guy here's the he's the town drunk and this mm-hmm. guy well we all know about his him and his his joblessness and and so it's hard to it's hard to uh get away with a crime when everyone knows you because then all of a sudden if you you know when you're in the city and if you have to kill someone to cover up your crime well not not many people know uh you know not many people know about the crime but also it's entirely possible you won't know the person you're killing whereas in a simple plan every death that takes place it's all people that this that that our main character knows Mm -hmm. and so there so the 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 sam raimi directs from a scott Smith? Yeah, the guy who also wrote The Ruins. Yeah, which is a great book. Not a good movie. But, Did um, they ruin it when they made the movie? Neo-noir. <laughs> um, but uh, but it's a very different, by the way. Uh, have, you, have you read A Simple Plan? No. It's, they took a very, it's, they're both great, the movie and the book. Mm-hmm. Took very different approaches to the story. Really? Or not very different, but uh, Simple Plan, the book, is incredibly tense and disturbing mm-hmm. whereas this one play in the movie has elements of that but it is mostly very sad mm. it's a really sad movie and in a good way yeah and i would say much in the same way the ruins uh the book is basically like a horror movie it's like a horror story but it's more focused on the effect that this is having on the characters where and of course the movie is more uh just horror based which is unfortunate because scott smith wrote the screenplay for that as well mm-hmm. um but uh, so movies like uh, A Simple Plan and Red Rock West, and I'll bring up History of Violence as well, even though, yeah. again, this is somebody who committed a crime, you know, you know, did something bad in his past and is like and it was fairly urban, um, but trying to find much like out of the past um, tries to find sanctuary in, you know, this idyllic uh, American town only to find that, no, these these actually provide you even less cover than you would think. Um, and so it was long we're talking about bests in movie history. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, Bill Paxton's best performance. I think the, the the initial outbreak of violence in the cafe in the history oh, yeah. of violence might be the best scene of the best the best violence scene in the history of movies hmm. because it's cinematic and yeah. awesome, <laughs> but at the same time very real, yeah, very disturbing, uh, very literally kind of stomach churning, like yeah. It's both both in terms of gore and in terms of the weight of taking a life, or, yeah. you know, or two lives. Yeah. Um, it it manages to do everything at once, whereas most movie violence is either one or the other. It's disturbing, 
or it's awesome. Yeah. And uh, History of Islands manages to do both, and it heightens both aspects. Yeah. Especially that scene. Yeah. And, uh, well, and that's, that's of course, one of, like, eight scenes uh, that Yeah, has, but that particular one is yeah. just... Oof. Coffee pot to the head. Yeah. Something to keep in mind. <laughs> um, and then I, I guess I'll just bring up a couple other things that I, I won't go into a lot of detail about. Um, but... Yeah, I'll I'll just I'll bring up these two movies because they're they're very similar in their in their approach, but they're like the mirror image of each other, which is uh The Big Lebowski mm-hmm. and The Long Goodbye, which is uh uh Robert Altman Long Good, Good, Goodbye it stars Elliot Gould and it's Robert Altman adapting uh, a Raymond Chandler book. And basically, so now how would you uh real quick, how would you describe The Big Lebowski? Well, um, it's insofar as it relates to the topic. Um, I think we talked about it last week, and not we started to, and then we said we'd talk about it more this week. Yeah, but uh, uh, I, 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 we talked about it last week in relation to the Big Sleep, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how I want to keep talking about it. That okay. it's, um, it's just the Big Sleep with jokes, mm-hmm. really. Um, it's uh, it, it it's. What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, it has all the elements of noir, mm-hmm. uh, or of or of, or of a detective story. I don't know that yeah. it's really noir because it's not. No. Uh, because it's lighthearted. Yeah. Um. So it's essentially, it's a. It's it's a sort of a, a good-natured ribbing or a, mm-hmm. a, a. A friendly parody, almost. Yeah. Or send up. But yeah. not in a Mel Brooks way, of um, of the Big Sleep or of those detective stories. Yeah, and and I think probably most of the jokes come from the fact that this very ser- very serpentine story, uh, in the midst of it, is a guy who doesn't really seem to care that much, uh-huh. uh, which is uh, the dude um, who just is content to go bowling and get high, and mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. Um, and so ha- you know the weight of like. Like, oh man, this 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 girl's life is in your hands, and she's like, uh, yeah, okay, you know, and so they're gonna kill that poor yeah, yeah. woman. Yeah, him and his friends, I would say, actually. <laughs> um, and so the humor comes from from that, but there's just his his refusal to take this story seriously. <laughs> um, and so what's interesting is there the flip side of that is how Robert Altman approaches the story in uh, the Long Goodbye. In which case, it's a fairly uh, straight adaptation of the story itself as far as the plot, but <clears throat> it was made uh, in, I think, 74. I'm not sure about that, but it takes place in the 70s. It's a, it it mm-hmm. updates the world. Um, and uh, However, Philip Marlowe, it doesn't update. He's still in a suit, and he still acts like Humphrey Bogart <laughs> in The Big Sleep. He still is just very monotone. He mumbles to himself a lot uh, as if he were narrating a story. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it certainly it, it doesn't he doesn't treat it as if it were narration, but that's kind of how it comes off. He just has this running commentary on what's going on. And uh, but he's in the midst of like hippies and stuff. And there's st- the story is still there, but it feels like a story that could actually happen because it's it's all these kind of earthy people as opposed to, you know, this this rich man in a wheelchair and this mysterious woman. And so 
so the story is still there, but it fe- it doesn't even really feel like that much of a noir story. Uh, but Philip Marlowe is exactly like he would be in 1945, and the film then becomes kind of hysterical. <laughs> um, because And Elliot Gould is not winking at you, by the way. He is playing it completely straight, and, uh, and it's very funny right up until the point when it's not funny, because this is still that... That based on a, uh, an original story by mm-hmm. Raymond Chandler, so there you know there are times when Philip Marlowe has to like pull out his gun and like shoot people, uh-huh. and it's just like wait what? <laughs> but but what's strange about it is that those moments don't really see they don't really stick out in a negative way. That it all just it's all very fluid, and it's just it's such like a it, it creates this very dreamy reality uh, because things that things don't seem to match up, but they still kind of do. And uh, and it's just a wonderful film that I, I can't recommend enough. The Long Goodbye by Robert Altman. So, okay, but uh, and there and there's a lot of more a lot more movies uh, on my list, but I'm not going to get to them. So yeah, uh, if you take anything away from this podcast, it's that you need to see both One False Move and Red Rock West and Dark City and Dark City. Yeah, not enough yeah. people uh, have seen that. Um, and uh, and The Long Goodbye, go see that too. Absolutely. Um, well, listen, this has been fun. Thanks yeah. for listening. But uh, we got to get to the important stuff. Indeed, yeah. Uh, which is new listeners, pay attention. Yeah, you, you haven't, haven't, you heard, haven't, heard, you this haven't heard this before. Heard this yet? Yeah. <laughs> uh, new listeners and all listeners, if you live in Los Angeles or if you will be in Los Angeles mm-hmm. on Saturday, June fifth, man, there's only one place you're going to want to be. Absolutely. And that is at Meltdown Comics. Yeah. Uh, on Sunset Boulevard at eight p.m. That's seventy five twenty two Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Uh, what you do? You go to Meltdown Comics. You pay five bucks. You get a stamp five dollars and forty nine cents. Five dollars and forty nine cents. You get a stamp on your hand. Uh, that get assuming you're twenty one or over. That gets you free beer all night. To be yep. to be bartender. To be bartender. Uh, but what that also gets you is uh, the chance to sit and watch us do our bullshit live. Yeah. With some really some actually funny people. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, not just us. We're, we're, David, who do we got? Well, here's 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 what we're gonna do. We're gonna have all some right. comics. And they're gonna do uh, some some comedy, some standing up comedy. Yeah. Some some of their comedy bits. Yeah. Uh, you didn't see what David just did. It was delightful. <laughs> the little dance I did. Um, uh, and then they're gonna sort of uh, they're gonna panel with us. Mm-hmm. That's, that's an industry term. They're gonna sit at a table and talk sure with is. us. Yeah. Um, here's what we got. We're gonna have we're gonna have Ed Salazar introduce us. Yeah. Uh, he'll probably tell some jokes. Warm, warm up the crowd. Absolutely. As usual, I'm sure he'll be impeccably dressed. Yeah. Uh. It, uh Friend of the show, Ed Salazar, is a, is a great guy, and uh, we couldn't do these Meltdown shows without him. That's true. Um, uh, but here we go after that. Yeah. Uh, we have the 40-year-old boy himself. Yeah. Mike Schmidt. Indeed. We have the king of television. Yeah. Paul Goebel. Yeah. Uh, we have blockbuster movie star. Yeah. Paul Rust. Paul Rust, yeah. Glorious Bastards. I love, I love you, Beth Cooper. Yeah. Uh, and we have friends of the show. Yeah. Former host of Cheap Seats. Yeah. Uh, sports fans. Yeah. St. Louisans. Yeah. Uh, the funniest twins on the planet, Randy and Jason Sklar. Who are funnier twins? You're looking like you have to think about that. I don't know. Who I, are like funnier the, twins? I like those Polish brothers. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Randy and Jason Sklar are going to be our, our headliners. And, uh, and everybody's confirmed, again, that... You never know, but <laughs> yeah. everyone is confirmed. Yeah, as when of right you're now. Uh, not paying people, <laughs> yeah, 
uh, something else might come up. Yeah. yeah, I think I said that last, or two weeks ago. Yeah, but as, as of right now, that's the that's the lineup, and uh, it's only five dollars and forty nine cents. But look, yeah, uh, you know what? Regardless of the lineup, we can mm-hmm. tell you just show up. Yeah, and we'd be already given too much away. <laughs> it's going to be such a great time. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's five dollars and forty nine cents and free beer. TV free, bartender. Yeah. TV bartender. Yeah, uh, and you get to hang out in the back of a comic book store. Uh, and see comedy and movie talk. Indeed. Um, and real quick, actually... Uh, and get there early and buy some comics. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm it's, also going to try and... Okay. I, I meant to do this last time, but it never happened. Uh, try and get a hold of one, one of the many food trucks around oh, okay. Los Angeles and try to see if they can be out front of, of Meltdown oh, okay. uh, for the hour before the show. And maybe people can come and get some awesome food, buy some comics yeah. uh, before, before seeing the show. Indeed. Now, uh, those who've probably, you've probably on the website or on Facebook or whatever, you've probably seen our awesome poster. We use the word awesome a lot this episode. I'm in an awesome mood. Oh, okay. I'm feeling better. I still coughed a little bit, but I'm doing okay. Uh, but our awesome, but I think, uh, this, this poster, uh, requires the word awesome. It is awesomeness. It is indeed. Oh my gosh, that's a ringing endorsement. Um, but yeah, so our uh, our poster for Battleship Pretension Live uh, was uh, drawn and created, I guess, uh, uh, by uh, Adam uh, Rebitaro. Pl- plucked from the realm of the gods by Adam Rebitaro. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. That almost. Uh, you know what? I don't have. I don't have the energy to uh, head down this path. But uh, but yeah, Adam Rebitaro uh, did the uh, did the poster, and it's, it turned out way better than I ever thought it could. He also uh, put together the intro for our video segments. Uh, he's done a lot of really great stuff. Uh, he's he's a fantastic artist and a really good graphic designer and a good and, guy and a good guy all around good guy. Yeah, very funny, good guy. Uh, and so if uh, if ever you uh, I don't know need some graphic design done or something like that, uh, or need something drawn. Uh, in like a comic book fashion, um, get, uh, let Adam know. I have no idea how you get a hold of him. I'll look into it. He's but, at Darksider on, on Twitter, yeah. but that's spelled Dark S-E-I-D-E-R. Yes, it's a, it's a DC Comics villain, apparently, Darkside. Okay. So so he's at Darksider. Dark, yeah, at Darksider. So there we go. That's a good call. Well done, David. Um, and so, yeah, so come see the show. Lots of fun. And... Uh, Let's give our usual uh, stuff. Go ahead, David. Yeah, you can find us, as, as always, at, uh, on the internet at BattleshipRetention.com or in iTunes. Search under Battleship Retention. Subscribe if you're not subscribed. That helps us. Write a review. Oh, a nice one, please. Thank you. Doesn't matter to me. Uh, you can email me at David at BattleshipRetention.com or find my other podcast, Previously On, by searching for Previously On in iTunes. Tyler, mm. where can people find you? Uh, I have a podcast called More Than One Lesson. Uh, you can find that at morethanonelesson.com, or you can find it in iTunes, and basically it is uh, film criticism from uh, a Christian point of view. Uh, I think I mentioned this before, but uh, the, the latest episode as of right now is about uh, the first Iron Man movie. Uh, but we have uh, episodes coming up. Uh, one will feature a friend of our show, Jason Eakin, and we'll be talking about the Coen brothers, A Serious Man. and the, then uh, the, the listeners love Eakin. They sure do. And why wouldn't you? I can't think of a reason. That sounded anyway. Uh, and then uh, and then we'll be doing an episode about uh, the Mike Lee film Happy Go Lucky, which will be in a, in a few weeks. But uh, so you can find that more than one lesson dot com. Uh, other than that, 
Thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.